0: If you want your kids to grow up, uh, have mature character and mature faith, and to learn all that they possibly can, then they need to be able to readily recover. It's super important.
1: Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. I'm Scott Young. Our co-host, Dave Donaldson, is out on assignment, but we are joined with another amazing co-host, Chrissy Cochran, communication expert, and recently told me she is like a golden retriever. So... I'm still trying to process all of that, but she's joining us. And our guest today, Kathy Cook, has really touched Chrissy in a, in a, in a profound way in her uh, community. And so Chrissy, welcome. We're glad you're co-hosting with us. And why don't you just tell us a little bit of how uh, Dr. Cook has really touched your life?
2: Yes. Thank you, Scott. And we're going to have to come back to that whole golden retriever thing later. So I can kind of give a little explanation, but thanks for that plug. But I am so glad to be on here. When we found out that Dr. Kathy Cook was coming on, I said, I've I've got to be on this recording with her. I'm a really big fan of her work. And actually, when my husband and I were looking at the different local schools to place our children, um, deciding to pull them out of public school, um, with homeschooling, would homeschooling, would that work, would private? school work we have you know a 12 year old boy and then two twin girls who are 10 And they're very, you know, impressionable, and these are precious years with them. And so we um, came across this great school locally called Legacy Christian Academy. And when we were going through all the orientation and information meetings, um, one of the big things that we just loved is how they promoted one of Dr. Kathy's books called The Eight Great Smarts. And I have it right here. I love it so much. But let me tell you, is that the focus that the school had with this book, and how this book is able to help children. And um, help parents identify the smarts, the intelligence of their children. They're all different. They're awakening at different times. I just knew really it was a school for us. But I love I we dove into into this book, and it really helped us understand our kids. Um, anyway, so I'm excited to be here. I'm a big fan, and I um, I can't wait for this conversation.
1: And Dr. Cook, we are so glad you have joined us. PhD from Purdue University, uh, author of six books, including the book that just held up, and a book we'll talk about today called Resilient Kids. Uh, Thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us on the Influencers Podcast.
0: I'm happy to be here. I have high expectations that we're going to make a difference today. Thanks a lot.
1: Now, many people will just be meeting you, so let me just start with uh, who is Kathy Cook and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so
0: I, I live in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, currently, I'm from a suburb of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I come from a really beautiful family, one older brother. We grew up kitty-cornered from one set of grandparents, so my dad cut a hole in the fence, grew up a couple of blocks from the other grandparents, went to school and church with all my cousins, uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents. I'm a huge fan of the multi-generational biblical worldview family. I was raised in church, but um, unknowingly, <clears throat> unknowingly, I was a legalist. I did all the right things right because I wanted to be a good girl. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until I was 19 years old that I bowed my my heart and head and said yes to Jesus. I had roomed with a girl of a different faith in my freshman year of college and got confused and wondered, you know, why does she do things this way? And why do we do things this way? And I figured out church can't be the thing that would save you. And I'm not even sure I would have used that language of saving. But I met with my pastor. And you guys, I'm so grateful that he opened the Bible. And he was a believer in a liberal denomination. Mm And he took me to Colossians two three. I had all the questions: Why does God let good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? And why are there mm-hmm. four gospels if they all tell the same story? And why do we use the same why do we use the word story when it's not a story if it's true? And he was patient with me. Colossians two three says that in Christ is hidden all wisdom and knowledge. And he said to me, and I'll always remember it. He said, "You know, most people come to faith in Christ because they need love. But you guys, I'm an introvert, and I had enough love, I thought." So, like that didn't appeal to me, but wisdom. I, I'm a, I'm a logic smart thinker. I love mm-hmm. to reason things through, and I had all these questions. Colossians 2 3, that's my victory verse. So, I love to teach people that you got to get to know who the people are who you're ministering to so you can present the God of the Bible in a way that they'll find compelling so that they're interested enough to ask more questions and ultimately come to faith in God and then Christ knowing that they would need a savior. And that, of course, happened to me. The longer that I walked with God, the more I realized I should be grateful to him for sending his son on my behalf. And I ultimately obviously became uh, full of faith as savior and Lord uh, with Jesus. And I'm so, so, so grateful. My parents eventually came to faith in Christ. That's a whole other story. My brother and his wife are believers, all their kids. So we're really, really grateful.
1: So was all of your family kind of caught up in a, a form, a legalistic form, but not a real personal relationship with God through Christ? Absolutely.
0: We attended a denomination that talked about Jesus twice a year, Easter and Christmas. And we didn't, we hardly ever heard about the Holy Spirit. So I was angry, which is why my first book is dedicated to the triune God. My father, <clears throat> my father came to faith in Christ right before he died of a massive unexpected heart attack. And he had heard the gospel many times, including from his grandchildren. All those seeds were planted, and then the right thing happened in the right moment. And, you know, the rest is history. So I love to tell people, you know, don't ever give up. But, yeah, I moved from doing the right things right. And that's part of spiritual resiliency we can talk about if we have time. This idea Mm -hmm. that we've got to move our children from doing the right thing right because they want to feel good about themselves to being who we are because it honors the Lord Jesus.
1: You've grown up, you did your undergraduate, your graduate, your doctoral work, and uh, part of your story is some of the traits that you had as a young person you saw as negative, but now you've seen how God has used those traits uh, to help you inspire and instruct others. And just tell us about that journey to see what sometimes looked negative, but it turned out to be a, a blessing from God.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you asking that question, Scott, because one of our passions here at our ministry is to, you know, encourage children to live long enough to find out why they are the who they are and to say to parents, childhood causes adulthood. If you and your kids have goals and dreams and aspirations for the tomorrow, they start today. So as an example, I was a Chatty Cathy as a child. I was nicknamed that when I was three or four years old. And now people pay me to talk, you know, which is a beautiful thing. I don't do what I do to get paid, but I get paid, which is remarkable. You know, and I wouldn't be on this podcast with the two of you today if I wouldn't have been raised to honor all the words in me. I wasn't raised, be quiet, be quiet, shut up, go find something to do. Mm -hmm. My parents saw it as a strength to develop, not a problem to eliminate. And that's why I'm here today. So I'm very, very grateful. Now, the chatty Kathy part of me can get me into trouble if I'm not careful. I would rather talk than listen, uh, you know, and I, I can exaggerate well and, you know, tease well. I have to be really careful. Sins of the tongue, Right. Satan doesn't care about our weaknesses, but he cares a lot about our strengths, and he wants to destroy us there. So, as a chatty Cathy person, I can be destroyed if I'm not in the Word and not with good accountability and just in in a good space. I can be really um, bad in that way. I hope that makes sense. And then the other thing yeah. I'll mention, um, you know, I was too tall as a kid. Now people can see me when I speak. You know, that's a true story. I have no trouble putting my suitcases into the overhead bins when I travel. I'm six one. You know, I'm not not too tall. I used to think I was too tall. And I was standing in front of a group of elementary kids in a public school. And I was telling my story because I wanted to encourage them to live their story. And I was talking about how I used to think I was too tall and I was clumsy and it was just awkward. And I was explaining that my height is now a great advantage. So live long and be strong and find out why you are the who you are. It might all make sense one day. And at the end, this little five-year-old boy came up to me. Hey, lady, I don't think you're too tall. I think you're cool tall.
1: Good very good
2: that's so cool you know i i can see how and we can probably remember when we were younger just the stories you shared about how we would compare ourselves to each other, right? Like children compare often when there are other strengths in one and those in not. And, you know, I have, I have the three kids and so they all have different strengths. That's why I loved the eight great smarts so much is because, you know, I got the whole twin factor too, to where they're constantly comparing. I got one that is word mm-hmm. smart and the one that's dyslexic, but because of the dyslexia, um, different parts of her brain are fired up. So she's more body smart. She's more nature yeah. smart. So that's been fascinating, understanding their personal traits and how God created them um, helps me be a better parent. So I know what kind of parent they need and how to raise them up in the way they should go. You know, I mean, the word says. And Mm -hmm. now, anyway, so I I totally understand everything you're saying with that. Now, your your latest book, Resilient Kids. Let's talk about that. What how would you define resiliency and, and why is it so important um, for that in our children.
0: Right. Thanks. I, I define resiliency as readily recovering from difficulties, readily recovering, not staying down in the valley, not having a long woe is me pity party. Um, I like to say not sitting down and counting the blades of grass per square inch, but walking through the valley experiences that God would ask you to experience for your good and his glory. So readily recovering. I used to think it was bouncing back, But that's not very realistic that we're like Tigger bouncing back. What I really want for us and our kids is to readily recover from difficulties, disappointment, defeat, fear, grief, shame, embarrassment, um, abuse, anything that might be going on, a parent's divorce, the death of a grandmother, that we not allow our kids to sit down in that, um, not hurry through it in a way that would be disrespectful, but to readily recover and move on with life. I think it's super, super important. And why is it important? You know what, you guys, if I don't readily recover, I don't learn a thing right? If I don't have an attitude of understanding uh, Valley experiences may be a part of my life, you know, God actually, I think he equips us through negative experiences, not just positive experiences. When I know that and the knowing of my knowing, I'm going to be more likely to receive them and expect to grow through them and be willing to risk and be willing to try something new, whether that's as simple as a bonus spelling word, or I want to try out for, for softball this summer. And I've never played before. If you want your kids to grow up, uh, have mature character and mature faith, and to learn all that they possibly can, then they need to be able to readily recover. It's super important.
2: Well, you write that resiliency starts as a choice, that, but can become a learned ability than part of their character. I, that's that's phenomenal. I, I love that line. But are, are children today facing more challenges in becoming resilient?
0: absolutely. And thanks for acknowledging that statement. And, and let me just say quickly, Chrissy, that I think that's true of all character. Resiliency is a character quality. All of our character, gratitude, patience, joy, kindness, other centeredness, it's all it all starts as a choice. All of our choices begin. all of our behavior begins with a choice rooted in our belief system. So it's a choice. And then the more experiences I have making good choices, where it feels good to behave that way, then it becomes a part of character. And that is what we want for our kids, because you know, the three of us, And hopefully, our adult listeners, we don't have to decide to be resilient. We are resilient. Why? Because we see the benefit of growing up. We see the benefit of trying again after a defeat experience. Why is it harder today? One of the reasons is technology. Technology makes everything so much easier, right? So our kids who are being raised by technology or with technology believe that you can just reboot your way through life. That there's gonna be this automatic correct, that there's spell check, that you know I can Photoshop out of pictures of people I want to pretend weren't there. No, you can't invent your own world, and not everything is easy about you. Automatic, new, full of variety, always available, and all of that. But their brains and their hearts are expecting easy, and that's why they don't like those valley experiences where they have to walk out of pain. Um, technology teaches kids they can be happy all the time. You know why do they multitask? want to be happy all the time. They X out of games they might lose. They only have on their phone the things they want. I had to watch TV shows I didn't want to watch if I wanted to watch TV because my dad was in charge. you know. And I lived through it. And when I miss my dad, I watch Gunsmoke today. And that is a true story. And I'm not embarrassed by that. But our kids are allowed by some of us to do whatever they want, whenever they want, in the way they want it. And that is why persevering through challenges is so difficult. We have got to make sure they know how to do it and that they want to do it.
2: You know, um, I I want to bubble wrap my kids, Dr. Kathy. I do. I want to Ugh. bubble wrap them and protect yeah. them. Yeah. But I know that's that's not good parenting. I know I don't want them to grow up not learning how to deal with life's disappointments and failures. What would you say Maybe I get like a free little nugget right here. What would you say to me and my husband and and other listeners on how we guide our kids through those feelings of failure?
0: Yeah, uh, no, I respect that, Chrissy. It's why I wrote the book. I saw bubble wrapping happening. I saw I was really fearful after the pandemic that children were going to be allowed to keep in that space of negativity. So I totally get you. I like to say save the bubble wrap for your great aunt's vase, you know, just or, you know, throw it all away because it's really that dangerous. Um, mistakes happen. And you know, when I ask an audience, Chrissy, when I ask an audience, how many of you are grateful for the things that you've worked hard for? Every hand goes up. When I ask people, are you more mature in your character because of the challenges God's allowed you to experience? Every hand goes up. When I ask people, are you, do you have a more intimate, dynamic faith with the God of the Bible because of your hard times? Every hand goes up. So why do we protect kids? it's ultimately going to lead them to drop out of faith, church, school, and life if we're not careful. And I say that with some boldness. I don't say that to um, make anyone feel badly. You weren't responsible for this information even five minutes ago, but you are now if you're listening. And so I hope that you toss the bubble wrap and that you choose to encourage your kids to understand mistakes are a part of life. We have to model that, Christy, you and your husband have to model the fact that mistakes are a part of life, but we're not going to be destroyed or defined by them.
1: I I love your definition of resiliency, to be readily recovering from difficulties. And uh, you you talk about um, some core things that we need to help build into children to cause them to be more resilient. Maybe you can walk us through and it will help some of our parents that are listening and grandparents that are listening to what are the core things we need to be working on?
0: Yeah, I would love that. Uh, there's five of them. Uh, these are super important to us, and I hope that they make sense to you. The first one is security. Who can I trust? If your children cannot trust you to handle their discouragement and their defeat and their grief, they're not going to tell you about it, and now you can't help them. They'll go to somebody else for the rescue, and that that could be actually quite dangerous. So, security. Who can I trust? Is my mom available? Does my dad, you know, truly love me unconditionally? And then we get to identity, who am I? Once I know who I can trust, I will know who I am. Identity, who am I? And I don't want to be defined by, you know, I'm weak or I'm a wimp or I'm a crybaby or I give up quickly. They're not going to become who God intended for them to be if we allow them to stay in that negative space. If we know who we can trust and we know who we are, a child created in the image of God, somebody willing to take a risk, somebody who tries hard, somebody who doesn't get defined by defeat but tries again. you know How do you want your kids and grandkids to define themselves? Then we get to belonging. Who wants me? Does anybody know I'm alive? Well, again, God does. He's the A plus answer all the time. But does do my mom and dad like me? Kids tell me all the time, Scott, my mom and dad, they have to love me. They don't have a choice. I wish they liked me. When Mm -hmm. your kids sense that you like them and they want to hang out with you and you want to hang out with them and you say, hey, let's play checkers, rather than making them always ask you, then they're going to want to belong to you. And now they're safe with you. Security, identity, belonging are so connected. And now they're going to say while they're playing checkers or riding their bike or shooting hoops, hey, dad, something kind of scary happened today. And now... Your kids open up to you because they're secure. They know that they're your kid, and their belonging is rooted in you. And then, purpose: Why am I alive? Again, we're alive for all the same reason—to put God on display, to, to let people know about Jesus, to glorify God, to become who God wanted us to be when He chose to make us us, and our specific purposes of being—you know—podcast hosts and ministry founders, and you know, great moms, dads, husbands, wives, whatever. You know, those specific purposes come again from our belonging and our identity, and our security. And you know what, Scott? If kids don't have purpose, they don't need to be good at anything. That's the last one, competence. What do I do well? Well, you want your kids to be well and do well, right? You want them to you know, be excellent at math, and you want them to make the soccer team, and you want them to have Christ-like character and you know, earn a spot in the church drama. You want them to do well and be well, to be competent. It, it starts with the first four. If they don't have purpose, they don't need to be good at anything, which is why they quit in the middle of the valley. They don't see the reason to develop character. They don't see the reason to develop creative writing skills or soccer skills or to learn a foreign language. So those five core needs are um, biblical. That first of all, it's, it's all about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then we support him with this horizontal um, system that we would create for our kids. Hope that comes across right.
1: Oh, so good. I
0: enjoy it. Yeah. Chrissy. Good. Uh,
2: can I have a question about conversations? And I would love to learn like really how to have really good, meaningful conversations that I feel like anytime I have a good teachable moment I'm like, okay, sit down, let's talk. Or you're trapped in the car, so on this ride, or you're gonna have to you have to lend them up. There's no other place to go. I'll tell you just a little something. Yesterday, when I picked up one of my twins from volleyball camp, she found out that one of her good friends said some not nice things about her, and she's broken hearted and she's crying her Aww. eyes out. So on the 25 mm-hmm. minute um, ride home, I am like, this is a time where I can just. Address this and talk to her. And I went from everywhere to like shame on that girl to we need to pray for her. And you are amazing. God has a purpose on your life. And and let's identify good friends. You know. Anyway, I Dr. Kathy, I don't know if it was meaningful. They really didn't say much, and I was just talking the whole time. Scott, I know you're probably going to have comments about that about me talking too much, but meaningful conversations to help our kids. How can we plan? To have them, so they really are helpful, and they're resonating with the kids.
0: I love that question. I love your heart as a mom. Uh, would you be upset with me if I said we have to listen longer? Um, you know, it, we are quit. You know, most most of us are problem solvers. We don't like when our kids are in pain. We We know that they're young and they don't have the kind of experiences we've had. So we think that we need to come in and rescue them. And sometimes we do or, you know, they're going to have a a world of really significant hurt. So one of the things I would say is that we listen longer and we get them to talk more. So as an example, you know, when kids share a story, like I found out that this person said something mean about me, usually we start to interrogate right then and there, right? Our kids or our grandkids stop talking and we interrogate. Well, what was she thinking? And who else was there? And did you do anything to make it happen? And how do you feel? And all of that, Chrissy, is totally legit. However, when we start to interrogate, and that's the children's word, we force them to go to a part of the story that may or may not be relevant. So we hijack their story. And we might actually never learn the more important Mm -hmm. next point because we don't think to ask about it. Totally legit. Don't anybody be upset here. This is what you've been doing and it works for you, but I've got a better idea listen longer, and just say, and, and, and then when your kid is like, what, just say, keep talking. And then your kid's like, what, I want to understand you. Just keep talking. And ideally, we keep our mouths shut. I sometimes, when I'm with people, put my hand over my mouth because I can solve a person's problem before they know they have one. And I'm not proud of that. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Um, So I would encourage um, to listen longer, to use things like, and tell me more. I want to understand you. Um, We have to feel their pain also, Chrissy. And I bet you did that. Um, If we don't acknowledge their pain, and sometimes that means we sit in the silence. Sometimes the spirit may give us something wise to say, but to acknowledge the pain, not with your own story. When I was your age, no, no, no. Acknowledge their pain. I bet that really hurt. Mm -hmm. And just sit in the silence. Because you know what? If kids feel like we don't acknowledge their pain, they don't really care what we think. When we Mm. acknowledge that their heart is hurting and that embarrassment is no fun, when when we acknowledge that, they feel seen and and, and valued. And now they're going to care about our potential solution. I'll also say the car is actually a good place to talk. Because I used to think it was a good place because they can't run away. Kids tell me it's a good place because you can't run away when the conversation gets hard. Um, I, you can also go for a walk and kick a rock because you know what? Eye contact isn't everything It's you know out to be. A lot of people think you've got to make eye contact. It's a sign of respect. And sometimes it is, but kids tell me all the time, they'll say, Dr. Kathy, I don't want to see my daddy's face when I make him upset. So they like the car because you can't make sustained eye contact. They like going for a walk. Also, uh, in the dark, almost even adults are more vulnerable and transparent in the dark. So hang out at bedtime. The other thing to remember, and I hope this isn't too long of a dump, one-on-one, you know, you got two, three, four, five kids. They're not going to be vulnerable in front of their, their siblings. So when you know that there's a situation that's gone on, you can't maybe dig into it in the moment because the sister and brother are there or the grandparents are there or even the husband and wife, maybe it's a two-on-one and they don't feel terribly safe. Look for an opportunity at bedtime or run an errand just with that kid so that they open up a little bit more. And I'll share one more thing. And then I'll kick it back to you guys. Um, I hope you already know, maybe by experience, that boys talk more when they're busy. It's called shoulder-to-shoulder conversations, right? Girls, women, we can handle what I would call like the kitchen table interrogation. And so, you know, what happened? And, you know, you can do it over ice cream or whatever. But boys, for whatever reason, have a harder time with their emotional discussions. This is wired into them by God. I'm not making a bad statement about men. And so they're going to be more open and vulnerable and fully um, detailed if they're busy. So weed the garden with them, uh, sweep out the garage, go walk the aisles of a store, play a game of chess. And in the middle of those experiences, your boys may open up.
1: I am so glad you brought that up because that was just in the back of my mind. I call them sideway conversations, mm-hmm. uh, that guy's yeah. process. So super glad that you, you brought that up because uh, I was going, well, should Good. I ask that question? And you just brought it up. Hey, let let me circle back to something, though. You talked at the beginning um, of our conversation about spiritual resilience, how how you didn't Mm -hmm. give up on God. And I'm certain our parents, grandparents that are listening would like to cultivate spiritual resilience and would like to see ultimately kids uh, always come back to God. Can you talk about that?
0: I would love to. Right. So resiliency, again, readily recovering from difficulty. So when children are disappointed by God, which is legit, they don't know God as well as we do. So when they don't get a yes answer to a prayer or they don't get their way or church was boring or whatever, they may have some negative reactions. Let's not judge them harshly. But how do we keep them invested to not give up on church, the people of the church and God himself? A couple of things. One is they have to know the whole of God, as much of God as possible. Mm -hmm as many names of God as possible, as many names of Christ as possible, as many attributes of God as possible. You know what? If we only know God is faithful, if that's all we know, God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. And praise God, he is faithful. But if that's all that we know, and then we experience a day or a two or a week when we don't feel that he's been faithful to us, because we've gotten more no's than we've gotten yeses, or whatever the case may be, we give up on God. But if we also know that he's merciful, if we know he's wise, we make a wait. He's wise, so maybe he knows better than I do what would be the answer to the question. So maybe I'm getting a no, and it's not because he's not faithful, it's because he's wise. If we know he's loving and and kind and always present and, and all of that. So as much as we can introduce our children to the whole of God, the triune God, the bigness of God, and that doesn't have to be hard. It can be with Bible verses. It can be with with worship songs. You can make a list on a board or a bulletin board or a refrigerator of all these things we know about God, so we don't give up quickly when things don't go our way. And then the other thing I would say, and and I can talk for an hour on this, I want us to do a better job of teaching children that we relate to Jesus, and that's why we do what we do. You know, my background again, I was a legalist. I you know prayed and checked it off, read the Bible, checked it off, worship, checked it off went and served and checked it off. I tithed and I checked it off. And that's a great way to start. In my church, we don't even call them Christian disciplines. My pastor, now I'm at a great church in Fort Worth, and my pastor says they should, you're disciplined to do them at the very beginning. If you've never prayed before, it takes discipline to remember to start your day in prayer. But they're not disciplines once you're in a relationship with Jesus. They're relational activities. So, as an example, in our church, we define prayer as a long conversation while an ongoing conversation while you're on a long journey with your best friend. That's how we define prayer. We don't say amen at the end of our first prayer in our church. We're not he, and at first when he taught us that, I thought, well, that's ridiculous. That's not that big of a deal. But it changed me to not end the first prayer, to realize my whole day is prayer conversation. This is what it means in the scripture to have you know, an ongoing pray without ceasing mentality. So if we could invest in our children so that they do what they do because of who Jesus is, let's love him so well, we want to spend time in his word. Let's love him so well, we want to tell him about our day. Let's love him so well, we want to worship with integrity and truth. Now, when they leave the home and they go off to military or marriage or work or school or whatever, they take Jesus with them because it's a relationship. And that helps us become resilient, even when we're let down by anything from a person in the church, the church, a staff member in the church, or God himself.
1: Make sense? So good. Well, the, the, the wisdom just of our conversation has been amazing. This is one of the podcasts you want to go back and Sweet. listen to again. And don't listen to it on high speed, which I know some of you do. You need to listen <laughs> to this one in real Time now. You're you're part of a, a celebrate kids now. Can you tell us just a little bit of what you're doing with celebrate kids? Sure, I'd love to.
0: I'm the founder and president. We are 32 years old, which is amazing. We are, uh, you know, we, we do public speaking. I, I do everything from church to school to homeschool to pro life um, to you know worldview conferences. I'm a part of the summit faculty for Christ- biblical worldview. So we love to speak. I'm an author of six, soon to be seven books. So we use words to change lives. We are interested in multi-generational biblical worldview. So we love to go into churches and and help them um, understand how, again, the family hangs out together, um, connected through Christ. We um, want to equip parents and children to love the children they were given, and not wish they had somebody else's kids, uh, which gets us back to the smarts and the other things that helps them identify you know, the strengths of the children. So
1: we're real privileged to do what we do. So we spent a lot of time talking about your book, uh, Resilient Kids, because it's been a very fascinating uh, subject, but Chrissy held up the book that really impacted her um, about eight great smarts. What was the book, the first book that you wrote about faith? Is is it still available? What was that called? Mm -hmm. It is called
0: Five to Thrive. It's an update okay. from the original book, but Five to Thrive is about those five core needs of security, identity, belonging, purpose, and competence. And it's a book I wrote for everybody. It's not a parenting book. Parents read it, love it, and apply it. But it's been an excellent book for singles who don't feel complete in themselves, and I know teenagers who have even read it. So it's a it's a life-changing book. I can honestly say that based on feedback I've gotten.
1: And we'll put it in the show notes, but I just want you to be able to connect with uh, Dr. Kathy Cook, CelebrateKids.com. Again, CelebrateKids.com. You can find materials that will be a blessing in your individual life and in your family life. I also, I'd love to do a whole program just on intergenerational. You put that one, played that card early Mm -hmm. and we didn't drive down that street too much, but I love that concept as well. And so uh, Dr. Kathy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Chrissy, of course, always a joy to be with the Golden Retriever on the podcast as (laughs) co-host. And to all of our friends that have listened, let's just keep being an influence. God has called you to be a light in a dark Mm -hmm. world, to bring hope in a hopeless situation, and to bring wisdom. Maybe you want to read Colossians 2, 3, and think about that verse that touched Dr. Kathy so much. But friends, keep on shining brightly where you are. For the Influencers Podcast, I'm Scott Young. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at The Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.